0: Psalm 127, I want to start there just by looking at the first part of, uh, of that verse, and then we'll continue on. And, uh, but before we do that, let's just have a word of prayer. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you for what we've seen, heard, and, and truly already experienced in this uh, worship service as we've been able to worship you in song God, as we've already worshipped you through prayer, God, as we've already worshipped you through giving back of that which you've blessed us with, God, I pray that you have been honored. I pray that you've been glorified. Lord, we've worshipped you through giving back of these children that you have blessed these families with. I pray that that has brought you much, much honor and glory. God, I pray that as we open up your word that you'll be honored and gloried again. God, that uh, you will allow your word to fall upon the good soil of our hearts. God, that we might hear from you this morning. Certainly, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight because you are my strength and my redeemer. God, I pray that you would step forward over the next few moments of time, that you would have the preeminence. God, I pray that we would uh, disassociate ourselves with the cares of this world for just a few moments of time that we might be able to glean something new, something helpful, something profitable for our lives. God, I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody listening that has never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today might be that day in which they realize from the teaching of your word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, that it might be the day they realize they are in need of that relationship with Jesus. God, I pray that you will do this and other great things in our midst. We give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture reading this morning, as Travis read, simply says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, when we look at this passage, I don't want to do disservice to the passage, but quite simply, in principle, whether this house is being understood as being an ordinary dwelling place, the temple or place of worship, Or quite honestly, a reference to the family, I mean, you see what the the passage says in the verses that following, talking about the children are a heritage under the Lord, whether it means one of those different things, what's apparent to me is that a divine partnership is needed. If we don't have a divine partnership with the Lord, all of our energy, all of our effort will be wasted. It'll be, a, a, it'll be an exercise in futility, if you please. And so I wish I could say on the offset, by the way, the, the title of my message, continuing with this healthy church theme, is that healthy churches are filled with healthy families. Healthy churches are filled with healthy families, and I wish I could say on the offset that healthy families just happen, but they don't. Healthy families just don't happen. I tell people all the time when I do premarital counseling, I tell people this, I break it. It's like a broken record. I say marriage is a ministry. It takes work. And the same thing is true when it comes to the spiritual health of our families. Listen, it takes work. Because whether you or I ever take time to really honestly recognize it or not, we're engaged in a battle of epic proportions. Remember months ago we did a series on this when we were talking about stuff and remember I go back to it all the time because we can see some things in it remember 1 Peter 5 7 says casting your care on him for he careth for you but 1 Peter 5 8 talks about the one who doesn't care for us and guess what he wants to destroy your family why do we think that the devil wants to destroy families because family actually honors God A marriage between a woman and a man, a biblical marriage. If we look at a biblical marriage, listen, and we understand uh, that the definition of marriage is all over the the spectrum today and there's people asking these questions left and right. But when we look at the biblical definition of marriage, we see a man and a woman, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife and the two shall be one flesh. And so we see that from Genesis chapter 2 and then Paul references it later in Ephesians chapter 5. And he talks about it as being this great mystery but he's speaking concerning Christ and his church. When a man and a woman come together in a biblical marriage, it is something that brings honor and glory to God. And yet 1 Peter 5, 8 reminds us of this battle, right? It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. I was reading a commentary earlier this week on... uh, the armor of God, because I was in Ephesians chapter 5 and then looking ahead in Ephesians chapter 6, and I was reading this commentary on the armor of God by a pastor by the name of Clayton Cravey, and I was reminded of the the World War II, uh, the battle on the beaches of Normandy, it took place in June of 1944. And it was in June of 1944 when the Allied Expeditionary Forces were just about to storm the beaches of Normandy, France. D-Day, as we know it, had arrived. And what we know is that before the invasion, the general of the Allied Forces, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who would later become president, issued a letter to all the soldiers, Marines, sailors, airmen, all those that were being sent in, not only from uh, U.S. forces, but from the Allied Forces. And he issues this letter to all of those that are going in to fight the battle. And in his letter, he sought to encourage them by stating this, that they were about to embark upon a great crusade to bring about, he says, to bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe and security for ourselves in a free world. While instilling confidence in those that would be invading the shores of Normandy, General Eisenhower did not in any way suggest that the task or the enemy or the battle would be easy or be defeated quickly. Instead, Eisenhower wrote these words. He said, your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained. Your enemy is well-equipped. Your enemy is battle-hardened. Your enemy will fight savagely. General Eisenhower wanted his troops to understand the grim reality of the battle that awaited him. And ladies and gentlemen, young people, through Scripture, our Lord wants us to be confident, but He wants you and I to understand the grim realities of the battle that we face. We face a battle for healthy families. It doesn't come easily. Listen, through his word, we not only know, but we understand these grim realities. In fact, if you look in scripture, our Lord and Savior described the devil, not only as a roaring lion that walks about seeking whom he may devour. You think about John chapter 8 and verse 44. Jesus tells us that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Not only was he a murderer from the beginning and a liar, but he was the father of lies. Jesus said this, or or Paul references in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, that Satan is the God, little g, may I remind you of this world. In uh, John chapter 10, verse number 10, Jesus said that Satan, speaking of the devil, he said he's a thief that comes forth to kill and to destroy and to steal. In chapter, two chapters later, in John chapter 12, he describes the devil as the prince of this world. You know, there's one thing that I've recognized over my short life. Nobody likes to talk about the devil, right? And so even in a Baptist church, if the pastor mentions the devil or Satan and says, Oh, he walks about seeking we made may devour. We have a tendency to turn the channel. We like to turn the channel because we don't like to talk about the devil. But I can assure you the devil is just as real as the air you breathe. He's real, folks. And he seeks to he seeks to deceive us. He seeks to destroy us. He seeks to rule us. And one day he will stand in accusation against us. He will stand to accuse us. Oh, but I'm so thankful that on that day when he stands to accuse us, that Jesus will stand up and say, Not guilty. Not guilty. Oh, I love that. I love the fact that one day it doesn't matter what the devil is doing. Jesus say, Not guilty. Oh, what a wonderful Savior we serve. Oh, listen. So I have to ask the question in a very practical way this morning because I have about two minutes left. Um, How do we go about establishing or maintaining the spiritual health of our families? I mean, seriously, when we think about it, I mean, certainly praying together, worshiping together, serving together would all be natural steps along the way of a message like that. But I want to simplify things for us this morning. Here's what I would say, if you're a note taker this morning, you're like, how do, I, how do I maintain, how do I seek to establish? Well, first of all, you'll never establish anything healthy in your life, spiritually or biblically speaking, until you enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But after you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what your family makeup looks like. It doesn't matter whether you're a single dad, a single mom, a widowed dad, a widowed mom. It doesn't matter whether you still are uh, married husband and wife and you got the kids or whatever. Every one of us have a responsibility to do the very best we can biblically. And so just because some scripture references the father and you say, well, I'm a single mother, I I don't know what to do. Or it references the mother's or the wife's role and, well, I'm not married, I don't know what to do. We all have responsibility to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So what do we do to establish or maintain spiritual families? Number one, I think we must rely on Jesus. That seems simple enough, right? We must rely on Jesus because the one thing that I know is that without the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. We we can do nothing. And the sad thing is that we walk around all the time in our own wisdom trying to take care of the affairs of this world and time after time we fail, we fail, we fail and it's like a broken record. It's almost like the definition of insanity. We do the same thing expecting a different result, right? But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 19, it says this, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Think about it. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. My wisdom, your wisdom, any wisdom that is apart from God's wisdom is foolishness. And so we need to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to stop trying to manage family matters on our own. Listen, instead of dealing with our own family matters, by the way, you're no match and I'm no match for the devil. So it is ludicrous to try and manage your own family matters. It's ludicrous to try and build a healthy family apart from Jesus Christ. We must rely on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. In fact, I mentioned it to the parents up here, and I say it to couples whenever they get married all the time. James 1, 5 says, if you lack wisdom, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, right? It says, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given to him. Listen, we're going to lack wisdom, and I would say that we lack wisdom every day. Every day I struggle to make the right choices. And so I have to go to Scripture. I have to encourage myself in the Lord. I have to strengthen myself in the Lord. By the way, if you lack wisdom and you're going to ask of God, right, show that verse again. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If you're ever going to ask God for wisdom, it's going to require a little thing called humility. See, right? Because if I'm going to take the onus off of Greg, and I'm going to actually go to the throne of God's grace, that Hebrews tells us that we can go to God's throne of grace and mercy, where we can find help in our time of need. If I'm going to do that, I have to humble myself. I have to come before his throne of grace and mercy on my knees. You'll never have, I'll never have a healthy family unless I learn to rely on Jesus Christ. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this in verse number 7. I know you guys thought I was going to verse 4 and 5, but in verse number 7, the Bible says, if, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Notice he says my words, not the world's words. He says, "'If my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you.'" It's important to understand that this verse is not some type of a blanket statement or policy that allows you and me to go to God's throne of mercy and grace and to ask for silly things, temporal things, things that are, uh, quite honestly, are geared by our own personal desires. That's not a blanket policy like, oh, well, if I'm in Jesus Christ and his word abiding in me, I'm in his word and his word's abiding in me, I can ask Jesus whatever I want, and whatsoever I ask, he's going to give me. No, no. What it's referencing is that if you want to ask anything according to his will, if you want to ask anything that brings him glory, oh, those things I believe that he'll do. By the way, the health of his church and the spiritual health of our families is something that is in perfect alignment with His will. I tell people all the time, listen, you want to ask the Lord for something? Do you have in your heart, do you believe that it is His will? I can tell you that the honor and glory of the family is His will. He wants your family to bring Him honor and to bring Him glory. And you say, well, hold on, I'm separated. Can I still bring God? Yes, you can. You have a choice today. You have a choice today that you can bring God all the honor and glory that you can, right? We we don't live in the land of yesterday. We can't can't go back and redo uh, when I was 22 or 23 years old. All I can do is do the best that I can now. And so we ask for forgiveness and we move on. In Psalm 18, verse 30, David said this word, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler. That word buckler means shield. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. In Psalm 33, verse 4, the Bible reminds us that the word of the Lord is right. In Psalm 119, 160, the Bible says the word is true from the beginning. And then in 1 Peter 1, verse number 25, the Bible reminds us that the word of the Lord will endure forever. By the way, it's the same incorruptible seed of the word that set you and me free. Find that in a couple verses before that in verse 23. Ultimately, whether it be in the context of family or just in the context of being a believer, the question becomes, when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ relying on Jesus and relying on His Word, the question is, what are we doing with His Word? What do we do with His Word? Do we apply it or do we not? In fact, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Look with me in a very familiar passage of Scripture in verse 24. I want you to see something. Jesus teaching here, he says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. Now listen, I'm taking the principle here, not what he was teaching on before, but notice what he says. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. And to everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, here's the, here's the opposite, we hear God's word and we decide, uh-uh, I don't want any part of it. Notice what he says. shall be likened unto a, what does it say in your Bible? Foolish. Foolish man, which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It's so like I stated when we started this series, remember the very first message, if you were here, that healthy churches have the right foundation. And Remember, I talked about this passage in a little bit. I just kind of hit it shortly, and I said that we're all building something, right? And so when it comes to our families, we're building something. The question is, what type of family are we building? And so here's the thing, if we're going to enjoy a spiritual, healthy dynamic in our families... It doesn't matter, again, what our families look like. It's going to be vital for us to put verse 24 into practice. See, in other words, not only do we need to rely on Jesus, we need to actually do what His Word says. If you're a note taker, rely on Jesus, do what His Word says. You want a healthy family? Rely on Jesus, one. Number two, do what His Word says. Because verse number 24 of this passage says, listen, it says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them... Will be liken, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. What a, think about this. What a tragedy it would be to hear what the word of God has to say and yet fail to do what it says we should do. To have the truth, right? We have the truth in our hand. To believe that this is God's word, that it is truth, right? Sanctify them. With, uh, tr- with thy word, thy word is truth, right? So we have God's word. We believe that it's truth. To have the truth, to have the textbook, if you please, to have the manual for life, to read it, to hear it, and then what a tragedy to say, I, I hear it, I recognize it, I'm not going to do it. And then we walk around, I'll be honest, I see people walking around so angry. What are we angry at? The truth be told, we're angry at ourselves. We're angry at ourselves because we're trying to do things our way. Like that old song, My Way. I did it my way. Well, guess what? There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, and the ways thereof are the ways of death. We we need to quit doing it my way, and start doing it His way. You want a healthy family? Take yourself out of the equation and rely on God and do what God's Word says. Notice what James has to say about this, this thing of doing. In James chapter 1 in verse 22 and following, James writes this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, but be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. Notice again, he says, but be ye doers of the word. And not hearers only, but notice what he says right after that. Deceiving your own selves. What is implied here is that we actually would be well acquainted with God's word, that we would hear it over and over and over, but we would fail to do it. And James says, if you hear it, but you never do it, you're deceiving yourselves. Watch what he says. Go on. Verse 23. Verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Listen, I want to encourage you, don't be deceived, because knowledge is knowing, but wisdom is doing. Did you get that? Knowledge is knowing, but wisdom comes from doing. And so we have an opportunity. Hearing God's word is useless unless his words are being put into practice. And by the way, God giving us his word is a grace that he has bestowed upon each and every one of us. His word is actually a grace that he's giving us. It's, it's because of his love. He's left us his love letter. And so if we receive this grace, we receive his love, and then we never do anything with it, we're actually receiving that grace in vain. We're saying, thanks, but I have no use for that. How can? And here, here's, here's a little sticky question. Because after I became pastor, I put up on the board... Loving God, loving God's word, and loving people, they're all three connected, right? How can we say that we have a relationship with the Lord? Uh, Now it's going to get real quiet. And God gives us his truth. He gives us his love letter. He's given, extended this grace to us. And we never use it. We never apply it. We never want to hear from God's word. We never want to hear from uh, God's representative. It doesn't matter who it is, right? Right? We want to live things according to our own thoughts, our own ways, our own desires, and our own model of whatever. We've read some self-help book on healthy families, and it doesn't include God. I can tell you, that book is no good. If there's a book out there, and I don't know them, so I'm sure I'll get an email. Pastor, I've got this book. It's a great book. It never mentions God at all. If it comes to the biblical health of your family, and it excludes the Lord Jesus Christ... Please, put it away. Burn it. Get rid of it. Start using God's word to lead your family. Rely on Jesus. Do what his word says. In Ephesians 5, the Bible says when it comes to uh, various roles of the family, notice, and I'll just read because we're going to wrap it up, it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Wives are like, great. I thought it was Father's Day. Could you please pick on the dads? Well, I will here in just a second. Paul was an equal opportunity offender through the Holy Spirit, right? says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. How do we submit, ladies, to our husbands? As unto the Lord. So as you live for the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what the Bible says to do for your husbands. Okay, I know that's a popular message. Ladies are like, thank you for that. Let's read on. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Okay, buckle up, guys. It's your turn. Husbands, love your wives. Notice there's an even as clause for you, too. So the wives are to submit themselves to the husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands are to love your wives as, what does it say, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And guys, I know that we love ourselves, so guess what? Why don't you love your wife, right? Verse 29 For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Notice the phrase again, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall be one flesh. Referencing what was said in Genesis chapter 2. In verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, we're going to read on in chapter 6. Children, kids are like, man, I thought we were out of this thing. Children, here we go. Obey your parents. Notice the phrase right after it. In the Lord. For this is right. For this is right. This is what the Bible says. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou may live long on the earth. And ye fathers, happy Father's Day, provoke not your children to wrath. But bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. God's word says that husbands are called to a position of sacrificial leadership, not dictatorship, not a position of superiority. When I do premarital counseling, I say, Guy, you were in trouble before God sent you your helpmate. And so don't think that you're in charge, you're the sergeant in charge. No, you're just the husband. Be the husband. Your role is to be the lover and the leader. And guess what? You can't love until you start leading, right? And you can't lead until you start loving, right? You want to love your wife, sir? You want to love your wife? You want to make a statement to your children? You want your children to see what a healthy family looks like? Love your wife as Christ loved and gave himself for the church. That means you got to be willing to lay down your life sacrificially for your wife. The Bible says not only husbands are called to a position of sacrificial leadership says that wives are called to demonstrate submissive response. Notice what I said, submissive response. The husband leads right. He loves right. And the wife says, hey, you're doing what Jesus did. And so guess what? I have no problem submitting to your authority in the home because you're an example of Jesus Christ. It kind of works hand in hand. reason wives don't want to submit to the response or submit uh, to their husbands is because they don't see Christ living in and through their husbands. Children are called to yield in obedience to their mom and dad. And guess what? I am and was a kid, and I get it. I remember disobeying my parents all the time. I made excuses. Well, I can't do that now. I can't do that now. I was partial obedience to this, partial obedience to this, and less than partial obedience to that. I get it. But the Bible says, guys, that it's right. For children to obey their parents and the Lord. Not only is it right, the Bible says in verse 2 that it's scriptural, which is the first commandment with promise. It's scriptural for children to do this. It's not only right, it's scriptural. Verse uh, 3 tells us that it's also for your well-being. That you Not only a scripture with promise that you would uh, live well, right? And live a long uh, life on earth. And verses 2 and 3 combined encourage us that obedience brings God's blessings. By the way, mom and dad, you may be struggling with teaching your children about this thing called obedience. I got a hint for you. You want to teach your children how to obey mom and dad? Set the example of your obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the children see you walk in faith. Let the children see you worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Let the children see you take time for prayer. Let the children see you take time for worship, right? Hold on, let me go back there. No one got that. Let the children see you take time for worship. Let the children see you take time to serve the Lord. We, we get so upset that this that the younger generation, I, they don't even want to serve the Lord. Do they see you serving the Lord? Do they see mom and dad, grandpa and grandma serving the Lord? My children never pray Do they see mom and dad praying? Do they know that mom and dad prayed? Do they know that mom and dad believe in the power of prayer or do we have a spirit of unbelief? See, we wonder why things are waxing worse and we can't even pray in schools. We can't, you know, we, we're... It'll be soon. We won't even be able to pray on the side of the road. So we have to set the right example if we want kids. So I ask the question simply, how are you doing with these things? Are you growing in these areas? Is your family biblically healthy, or do you desire for it to be biblically healthy? Because practically speaking, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, in fact, if you know the book of Ephesians, you know that chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about doctrine. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are all about practical application. Beginning in chapter 4, he says, walk worthy of your calling, of the vocation wherewith you're called. And then he goes on and he talks about in verses 17 and following, things that you have to put off and things that you need to put on. And after he says that, he says, he says uh, uh, get rid of the angry. He says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. And then he talks about the lying tongue. He says, let him uh, that stole steal no more and then he talks about um, uh, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good for the use of edifying that it may minister grace to the hearers he goes on and he's, he's writing all these things all these profitable practical application steps and then in chapter 5 he says the same thing that we're to walk in love as children of light he goes on and he says that we're to be filled with the spirit not to be drunk with wine wearing in excess but to be filled with the spirit and then he hits the home Wives, husbands, children. And then he goes on to talk about employers and employees. He, He gives literally a practical application for the health and success of believers across the board. Why? Because the Apostle Paul himself had seen and experienced the grim realities of battle, he had experienced it himself. He, remember in chapter 7 of Romans, he said, the things that I know I should do, those are the things that I don't do. And the things that I know that I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do. He had experienced the spiritual wickednesses in high places. He had experienced the attack of the devil on his life over and over again. So he gives us tips for health. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, he says these words in verse number 10 and 11, and I close. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We need to rely on Jesus. We need to do what he says. And then we need to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You want a healthy family, start with Jesus. You want a healthy family, listen, not only read But heed his word and put it into practice. You want a healthy family, mom, dad, young person, you're going to have to stand strong. And the reality is you and I can't stand strong in our own power, in our own might. We must rely on the Lord. And so in order to stand against him, the devil, in order to oppose him, in order to fight against him, in order to get the victory over him, we must stand in the strength and the armor of Jesus Christ. By the way, he's the one that gave you the armor. You didn't do anything to get it. It's already been given to you if you're a believer. You didn't, it ain't like you went down to the five and dime and picked up a shield or a hat or shoes shod with the gospel of peace. He gave it to you. If you truly desire to be spiritually healthy, I've got some good news. It's not all bad news today. I've got some good news. The good news is that 1 John 4, 4 tells us greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In Romans chapter 8, uh, verse number 37, the Bible reminds us that we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. Who loved you? Jesus loves you. Guys, we can do it in the power of his might. Here's a sobering thought as we enter into a time of prayer. I want you to consider this a simple message from God's word. We're talking about healthy church the reality of the moment is that this church, this particular church that we're sitting in right now will never be more healthy than the individuals and the families that make it up. And so, I ask you as the pastor, how healthy are we? You know in your own life, individually, where you are on that spiritual barometer. You know as a family member how healthy your family is. How healthy are we? Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to be healthy. It is his will, it is his desire that the family, which is a representation of him and his church, be healthy. And so I beg you, not only am I asking you today where you stand on this, I beg you that if there is something going on in your family, that you do business with the Lord right now, today. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.